turning point for Israel when David took on Goliath. You remember from before, the battle was supposed to be set in array. The Philistines came against Israel and they were divided by a valley and 40 days, morning and night, their Goliath champion giant would come and defy the armies and beg them and defy them to send a man they would fight him. But his promise was and his threat was if if your man beats me, we will be your servants. But if I beat your man, you will serve us. But he, he made some pro, he made some uh, problems for himself, and we look at those today. He defied the armies of the living God. Now, folks, I don't know what you think about Christianity or where you think we stand in this world, but we have a greater, much greater source of protection in this world than the enemy does. And I'm saying the enemy is anybody who hates God and hates Christians, hates Christianity, hates what God stands for. Angry against people who will proclaim that and stand for it. There are people today in high places who want nothing but vile, nasty behavior to rule the land. They want to overcome. When, the, when uh, you see chanting and picketing for equal rights and equality, that's never the answer. They're never the honest. They want superiority. They want to be the ones that govern. And so here's what I learned some years ago. I was younger, much younger. I went to a seminar, Bill Gothard, not Bill Gaither, but Bill Gothard. Is, we went to his seminars, and here's what, here's what he said. I believed this in my heart when I was a kid. I didn't, I didn't know how to put it into words. But he said, um, you got to be very careful with compromise in this world. We're not to be bullheaded, uh, dogmatic, hateful people. But we are to stand for the Word of God. We, we're to do it in love. We're to do it in a kindness, with a compassionate spirit and heart. But we are to stand for the Word of God. And so this man was teaching, and sure enough, he said, so you look through the Old Testament, and it's called syncretism, by the way, in its final stages. But I believe this, and I'm standing on this today. And another person says, well, I believe way over there. I believe that. I believe that. And so he says, and many Christians, weak-minded, weak-spirited Christians will say, well, we need to compromise on these things. And so he's over there, and I'm over here, and I disagree with what he does and says and teaches and wants because the Bible says no. No, you can't do that. Christians don't do that. I can't do that. Well, let's compromise. And so we meet in the middle, and we compromise. If I compromise two more times, I'm where I said I would never be. And we have a nation of compromised Christians. And I, hey, listen, if you have something in you that if someone says you're being spirited because you stand for the truth and you can't take that, get off the playing field and let us play ball. Move over, move over, get out of the way. If you don't have the strength of backbone and character to say, you know what, I'm not against you as a person. The Bible says this is right. This is what I'm going to do. I'm not stepping over a half of a, half of a step 
toward you. Oh, oh so here's what I've been told. You're not a team player? I never said that. Did anybody ever hear me say I'm a team player? You're not a team player? I'm not a team player. If that's what, that's what they mean by that, you don't want to compromise at every turn to every vile thing the Bible says no to? No, I'm not a team player. No. It says no. Now, do you know this morning with me that the Bible says, know this of a surety, your sins will find you out? That's a true statement from God. I don't have to. I was counting in bed last night as I was laying there thinking about this message. I've had no less than three people tell me that I cursed them. <coughs> Their life was not going well because I cursed them. <coughs> what I said to them was, when I was talking to them, if you do that, it will not go well. That will not turn out well. I have complete, the complete scriptures to stand on to give you this affirmation. If you do what you're saying you're going to do, I will not be party to that, and, and it will not go well. It, in the end, you'll reap what you've sown, and you're sowing some terrible seeds. Three, No less than three otherwise normal adults, in my mind, have come to me called me out and said, you curse me. My life is a mess because of what you, you cursed me. Can I say this morning that Goliath stood up and in cursing, we'll get to this, by his gods, it says, cursing Israel and their armies, he cursed himself. And I'll give you a scripture for that when we get to it. But here we begin, in the we're now in the 38th chapter, or verse of, of, this, of the 17th chapter, verse 38. We were here last week, and it says David armed himself with Saul's armor. He couldn't wear it, so he put it off. And verse 40 says he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones out of the brook, put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a script. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David, and the man, and the man that bare his shield, went before him. Why didn't Goliath say, if there are any two of you that can with me come out here? He had a, he had a fellow with him. Well, David said, I got somebody bigger than that. I got somebody bigger than that. Folks, I'm in a dilemma in this stage of my life. I've got to confess to you this. I don't understand what Christians are thinking these days. They have the arsenal heaven behind them. Prayer as the greatest weapon on earth. And they're not using either, saying, I'm good. I can handle this. I can take care of it. And falling farther and farther away from Christ. You know why? Something happened in church they didn't like. Something happens every week here I don't like. And I bet you, with me up here, it happens every week for you too. You know why? We're a bunch of people. We're a bunch of sinner, sinners and, and people with our own personalities and characters and, and shortcomings. And This is a family just like the family you were born into. Weak people. People with different characters and flaws and strengths. And, and we need to encourage the strengths like we did when we were kids and, and say, you shouldn't be doing that, but you should be doing more of this, you know. That's going to get you in trouble. Something in every human thinks I can get by with it. I don't know what it is. Something in every human has a little bit of, it's me though. This won't happen to me. And the Bible says that the Lord is no respecter of persons. It will happen to you. It will, if he said it and you do it, 
it will happen to you. Do people get by with it and take it a secret to their grave? A lot of people do. Do they get by with it? <laughs> this meeting the Lord face to face, I think about daily. Standing before my Lord one day face to face and giving an account for my life, I think about it daily. I don't know about you. It governs much of what I do. You won't believe this one. It governs all what I say. The, the Lord standing face to face with me in total judgment of my life. I gave you a life. I gave you life. What did you do with it? Did you live for you or did you live for me? You know how many people give the Lord a little bit of something once in a while to vindicate themselves and to feel satisfied that I'm good now? He doesn't want... Uh, he doesn't want your checkbook from you particularly. He doesn't want your anything else. He wants your heart. If he has your heart, he has all of it. Amen, brother. If he has your heart, he knows where your money's going. He knows who you love, what, what you hate, what you'll stand for, what you lay down in front of, because you love him. You tell me people wouldn't fight for things they have. They wouldn't fight for material possession more than they would for the love of Christ. You tell me people wouldn't be more offended if... if someone came in and took all their stuff or they said you can't go to church Sunday well, we, can do, we can do that matter of fact I do that myself a lot of times so you don't have to worry about that one but I'm going to take your stuff that new thing you just bought no that's mine you, boy people get in an uproar when things are taken or the threat of things being taken from things being taken from them but the Lord said those things mean nothing trust me you'll leave them all one day all of them as a little boy, and you've heard it a million times, I thought it, was, it just, these things came into my head when I was little. John D. Rockefeller died, and just before he died, they asked John Rockefeller, how much is enough? You know his answer on his deathbed? Just a little more. <laughs> and people say, that's funny, that's not funny, that's most people. He said, if I owned all of Kansas, I'd want to own at least one foot over into Missouri. I always want more and more and more. And he got more. And so the, tape, the paper headline, and it came out. I read the headline. It was in the New York Times, I think. But it was this. How much did John leave when he died? All of it. He, thought he died, he left all of it. So... You know, you know how much you're going to leave when you die? <laughs> of the things that you've acquired? All of them. What are you going to take with you? What you put in here. And what you sent up there. If you want what the Bible calls lasting, durable riches, it's not here. You can't, you can't build up durable. What the, the Lord says, what you're building up there when you're building up houses and bank accounts and things. He said, That's, he said you're silly. You're just being silly. Even my own father was dying. He said, boy, if I, if, I, if I could tell you a thing that you could understand to make your life much more. He said, I would give you something that 99% of the people I've ever known don't find in their lifetime. One thing that people don't ever find, and that's the enough line. He said, man, if you can get satisfied and have some little girl hold your hand and share that with you, 
this feeling of satisfaction with I have enough. He said, because when you start, when you when you know you have enough, you can start giving this the surplus away. And he said, most people, boy, they hang on to it. And then, he said, you go to their house. He said, I go. He said, I got some friends around here. Believe it or not, I got some friends. And you go to their house and then slide that barn door open, and there's a shiny green new thing. And they said, look at that. What do you think? <laughs> I'd hate to get that dirty. That's beautiful. But he says his kids are like this. They're like that. They're just scattered to the wind. And he said, I'll tell you what. Is that true or not? If I could give you the understanding of enough and the feeling of satisfaction with enough, well, Goliath cursed himself. He said David took his staff and, and, and his five stones, and I showed you last week, and it's, it's in 2 Samuel 21, the last three verses. Goliath had four sons, and they were all giants just like him. Six toes and six fingers. I guess no thumbs. I don't know how that works. But he had six toes and six fingers. Giant. Nine foot, nine inches tall. Nine foot, nine inches tall. And the estimation of the historians was he weighed somewhere between five and six hundred pounds. Big fellow. His spear was said like a weaver's beam, which in those days it was three by three instead of a four by four, it was three by three. And the head of that, the spearhead, was fifteen to twenty pounds all by itself. He was he was weighing he carried two hundred and fifty pounds worth of uh, armor. 250 pounds of armor would be hard to move in for most men. But he was standing out there nine foot nine with all that. He had a... But what he didn't have in all that armor was a forehead covering. He forgot to get that on. He forgot to get his... Uh, he wasn't wearing a bill. But he forgot to wear his forehead covering. And I want to tell you this. You read these stories and pray about them and read them. You'll learn something every time you go through it. I don't care how many times you read it and how old you get. These stories are not just simple like reading the Newsweek magazine or a newspaper article. These are not periodical stories. They are the stories that teach us who God is and who we are. The, the thing we're talking about this morning is facing things that are bigger than us. Facing things that are bigger than us. You got a crazy kid? Got a crazy spouse? You got a crazy co-worker? Yes, I do. Anything about? No, no. Okay, I don't. I do, but not here today. Do you? You have someone drive you insane? Something that's bigger than you are? Something looming over you that's scaring you? That's your Goliath for this time. You got a bill coming to mail, and you're wondering how that's going to get paid. Did the doctor call and tell you something? That you really didn't want to hear? I moved into the house I live in in the year 2000. And there's a lady next door who now is 93. She looked 93, 20. I don't know how she did this. She, looked, she has not changed. I said last week to Clark, she's 93. He said she's always 90. She's been 93. They moved in there and grew up. She didn't. I'm telling you, nothing changed about her. But she's not very happy. And one day, 
I was going to mow the grass, and she called me over, and she said, "I'm here to come here right here to me." <laughs> Little dried up thing. I said, "Okay." And and she called me over to scowl on her face. She said, "Right there. See that? That's our line right there. That's the line. Don't mow over it, and don't throw balls over it, and don't get stuff in my yard. Her life is her yard." Her house has not been kept, but her, house, her yard, she works day and night. Now she can't, and she's upset about that. Right, yeah. Let me try I'm not lying to you. My wife's checking me. She's a... She told me, I mowed my yard. Okay, my kids mowed my yard. And she mowed her yard that night, and she left a strip this wide between us. It was there for three years. It got about that tall. And I went out there one day and I said, you like that? She said, I don't mow it down this time. I'm tired of looking at it. Can I, can I mow over that much farther? Because that's where you told me. She said, I don't know. I'll think about it. Last, her son moved in some years, five, six years ago. Her son moved in. He had cancer. Been in the Marines. Had a rough life. I think he had been married three times. He currently was not married, and he was living with his mother. Got up to go to church one morning. The ambulance was there. The fire truck was there, and there was a police car there. And she, I said, what happened? She said, he came out of the bedroom and went around the bar to sit down at the table. I was making him a cup of coffee, and I heard this. I thought, I thought he dropped something. I thought he dropped something on the table. It was his head. She said, his head hit the table, bounced back. He hit the floor, was dead on arrival. So I started talking to her, and she said, I buried three husbands. She said, I had a friend, a man friend that came out one night, and he came in my house before I got home. I said, I'll be a little bit later. He pulled his car in the garage. I went in. We were going to have a nice evening, go to dinner. And he was dead in that chair right there when I walked in the door. She said, one month later, I went across town to see my mother. She wouldn't answer the door. And I, Got in there and she'd been on the couch dead. They told me for three days. Two months ago, she said her daughter is full of cancer and she's dying. And I went over to see her. She never, she never showed emotion whatsoever. And she cracked. She said, "I can't do this again. I can't bear it no more." And she reached toward me just a little bit, and I reached out and grabbed her hand, and she pulled it back. Janet went to see her the other day, said, we haven't seen much of you. You don't come out. She said, no, they said I'm full of cancer in my lymph nodes. In my, and uh, I went out early morning watering the grass and talked to her, and she said they stuck a needle in my rib cage and pulled two liters of water off of me. That'd be, that'd be that'd double her weight, by the way. And she said the first time it wasn't so bad, but yesterday when they did, I can't do that again. That hurts so bad I can't stand it. She said, well, I'm dying. It doesn't make any difference anyway. I have asked her repeatedly through the years, why don't you come to Christ? Why don't you meet the Lord and come to Christ? And she always said, no, I don't need that. I had a big tree in my front yard to put off those little spiky balls. And if you don't like your neighbors, just aim your mower just right. You can take your dog out. <laughs> so I'd go out there and rake up those spiky balls. And uh, by the way, my oldest sister-in-law, my oldest brother's wife, I guess that's right, Stepped on one of those and fell and busted her head and about, about didn't make it through it. 
just stepped on one of those spiky balls and it twisted her ankle and she fell down. So one day that tree was over very close to her house and she got at least half of those spiky balls and one day she was out raking those up about three years ago and I went over and took the rake out of her hand, raked them up, had those things, those claw things and I was putting them in the bag and she, she said, why are you doing this? I said, those are my spiky balls. <laughs> it's none of your business what I do with my spiky balls. And she said, well, you're not like most preachers, are you? Now, isn't, I said, did somebody hurt you? And she just turned and walked away. Did she have a bad experience in church somewhere? Doesn't need the Lord? No, she needs him desperate. She doesn't need a nasty churchgoer. She doesn't need somebody to do something. Preacher or whoever, doesn't matter who it is. That's right. People don't need to be hurt by churchgoers. We don't need, that's not our business. And I said, boy, this thing got a hold of you, didn't it? And she will not answer those questions. And she said to me, she gave me a tomato. I think that means, I think it's love from any language right there. She gave me a tomato. And I, she said, well, it won't be long now anyway. I won't hurt very long. It's about over. Folks, we're going to stand one day, all of us, all of us, every person born on the planet is going to stand face to face with Christ. Do you think it will be a good day? Some parts of that terrorize me. I'm not afraid of them. I just, I'm afraid I've, I've not done my job well. I'm afraid I have to go home and report that uh, I didn't get it done. Well, the job he gave me to do, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to stand before him and and they get a bad performance on my review. I always meant to do more. I always mean to do more, but I don't seem to be able to find how to do it. And so the man and the giant went toward David. And when he saw David, in verse 42, it says, And David looked, the Philistine looked and saw David. He disdained him, for he was but a youth and reddish. He was had a red, ruddy and and a fair countenance. He was a pretty little guy. He was a very attractive little guy. He was a youth. He was young and pretty handsome. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that thou comest unto me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. There it is, folks. You know what the world at large, you know what the world mostly is doing to the Christian idea? And good people, they're cursing by their gods. We have, if you see, if you've noticed this or not, or if you understand what it is, we have a world who openly confess now in most of the upper echelons of the governments of the world, they are worshiping Baal and Moloch. And they say it is about sacrifice of flesh, particularly babies. And they say it's about blood. They say it right out. Many of them are using chickens in their rituals, but it's worldwide and it's common. And to bring it up now, as opposed to when my parents were my age, and but to bring it up now, you get look like you're the one that's crazy for not thinking that's okay. But they're worshiping the god Moloch. And if you if you read in the Old Testament, you'll find this is particularly hateful to God. And we're going to talk about it in the next hour because when 
when the, when the 12 tribes were chosen and sealed, when, when the tribes of Israel were chosen in the tribulation time and people from the tribes were chosen, there are two tribes that were not involved in that, of the original lineup. And there's a reason for that. When God says, if you love me and do what I say, oh, there's a great reward. Do you think God, who said to this universe, be, and it was, he said be to the universe. He spoke and it became. Do you think he understands what great is? Do you think he overplays like, I don't know what word should I use here. He says, if you do what I've asked you to do and live the life I've asked you to live, there will be great reward. Amen, bro. Do you think God knows what great means? Well, you see through the lines and through the lineage and through the times and through the people and the nations, he said this, you didn't do it, you're out. And he does, you don't lose your salvation, you can't lose it. If you're really saved, you got it. But he said this, when you stand before me, you're going to give an account for how you lived out that salvation, how you worked that out. Was it with fear and trembling, or was it with arrogance and a cocky mindset? I can get more for me. I can get more for me. Well, it says he cursed him by his gods, and the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh to the fowls of the air and the beasts of the field. Again, let me stop for just a moment. Every sentence in here. Every sentence in here. He cursed him by his gods, and he said, You come at me, little guy, you little pipsqueak. You're nothing. He said, I can't believe you'd come against me. You're nothing. How many times I've heard that? And he said, If you come to me, I'm going to feed your flesh to the beasts, to the wild beasts and carry it of this world. Have you read on in the story? You know what David said? A boy. A boy to a giant who's threatening to kill him and feed him to the wolves and the birds. And David said, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts. David had the greatest weapon on earth and in the heavens. He had God. And armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied, this day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses, uh, the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, and to what? The wild beasts of the earth. And all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. So a boy says to a giant, a boy wearing a loincloth and a bag on his hip and a sling in his hand says to a fully armored, with an armor bearer before him, you feed me to the beasts? He said, listen, I'm going to take your head and feed the armies of Israel to those beasts. And he said, I'm not going to do it, God is. You made it, you, you, you slipped up here, fellow. You're defying the armies of the living God. Now, if we had that attitude about what the world is doing against God, you know what we could get done? In my generation, in my generation, 
the Christians have decided to compromise. Don't make anybody upset. Don't make anybody mad. Don't, be, don't get a bad name. Listen, you got a bad name. It's called Christian. They hate that. We're going to stand for this or we're going to fall for every little nasty thing the world has until we've compromised clear over and we're standing in their camp and don't know how we got there. There are things on the ballot these days to vote for that my Christian friends find very okay that God says no. You vote for those things, see how your life turns out. You go ahead and vote for those things, see how your life turns out. You're going to be irritated and unsatisfied all your days. There's no peace, God says. No peace. No peace to those people. David said, as a boy standing there, he may have had a strap around his head. He probably did. Most people did back then. He had a strap around his head, a loincloth around his waist, and a sling in his hand with a little bag on his side. And he said, really? Come on, Monzo, let's get it. You and me, right out here, man to man. Goliath said, there's no other man. Well, how can I do man to man with a boy? And David said, don't you worry about the boy. You better worry about God. You see it? Now, if you go back to Mark, you don't have to. I'm going to read a verse to you. You might remember as we studied Mark not that long ago, in the very first chapter of Mark, it introduces the Lord, introduces his message, introduces his, uh, his gospel message. John comes first. He prepared the way, and it said, now Jesus came, and one of the first things he did was go out into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, tested of the Lord. He was hungry, and he was thirsty. But it says in verse 13 of, of Mark 1, it says this, and he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beast. No other place in the Bible says that. The other Gospels don't mention that. But I want to tell you something. Peter and Jude talk about this. These are these people who went out and been to Christ to have they govern their own lives. They defy Christ with their life. They say, I don't need him. Look at all the things I have. He said, brute beast they are. There are wells without water. There are clouds without rain. They're empty. Their life is completely empty, and they're a wild, brute beast. It says they riot in the daytime, and the, and the condemning thing about these people is, it says, who cannot cease from sin. They don't have the Holy Spirit in them. They don't have something that would turn them from a sinful nature. They do whatever their flesh wants to do, and they think it's good. It says, unstable souls having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin. It isn't that they don't want to or won't. It's that they cannot. They have no means to do it. That's like saying me and give him a physical description, say, and cannot jump over the building. That's true. That's true. I can't. And you would come to me and go, what are you sitting there for? Don't you want to jump over the building? I can't. And so we go to lunch with friends, and we go to other things, and we have friends, and we're having a good time. We're talking about all the other things in the world. And when it comes to your witness of Christ, they look at you like you're speaking Chinese because you are now. They do not understand the language, the words, and the, and the means. They don't get it. Some people just glaze over, and other people get hostile. 
And people come and, and uh, tell me things in my own business, and I'm talking to them and clients and their friends, and I've known them a long time. But when I say this, when they say I'm this or that, I say, yeah, the Lord's been good to me. They back up like, oh, man, what's that? And I, and I say to them, he's been good to you too. You got out of bed this morning. You think you did that by yourself? They work out, and they drink green stuff. Oh, what comes out and what goes in looks bad enough. They eat, they're drinking green stuff and they work out. And I'll tell you what, there's nothing wrong with being fit. Matter of fact, God likes that. But if you're trusting you, your physical strength, to take care of spiritual problems, you'll fail every time. And I'll tell you something else about physical strength. Tarzan, it'll fade. It will fade. I look at my co-workers now and, and myself. Man, we're, we're walking through that. It, it wasn't so 15 years ago. It wasn't so. Janet and I are watching old black and white movies because those are ones we can stand. And you know what? All the men had a waist that big around and nobody lived. I'm asking you, go to Walmart, go anywhere there's a group and watch people. 50% or more of the people live now. We did something to ourselves. Fred Astaire's waist was, big, it was smaller than my leg. This part. Fred Astaire had a waist smaller than my leg. So I Googled that and I said, what did he do? Well, he was a dancer and he put a lot of energy into it, but he met, here's what he had for lunch. <coughs> Two cocktails and a cigarette. I'm thinking, well, wow. Said they had an appearance and, and uh, they signed contracts with the studios and most of those people, you had Gene Kelly and Bing Crowley and those guys, they couldn't weigh X amount, they'd be fired. Elvis was under that contract. And you can look at his life and see the day that he got out from that contract. The day that he got out from that contract, everything changed. Collars came up here. Belts came out here. That was more important to them. So I started looking through. I started, you know, my phone is smarter than me. I started looking up things. And those, most of those people died at a pretty early age. They didn't live long. You can't defy what God says nutrition needs are and get by with it. Well, aren't the Harrises are here? Good morning. Everything okay? Everything all right? Okay. Um, so this is what we have. David, and I want you to see this with me. He says, I'll give you in verse First uh, Samuel 17 verse 46 there he says I'm going to do this and here's the reason and this is this is why you win he didn't say so everybody will think I'm great he didn't say so everybody know I'm a better warrior than you he didn't say I'm a fearless guy and the whole world should know it he said that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel the heart behind the mission is the reason for the success we can't face this world with their armor. We can't fight them on their terms. We can't do that. When, when if you're a Christian and something comes up bigger than you and I are, we can't fight it with the world system. That's why I, I just almost mocked Dr. Phil and Judy and all of those people. And uh, 
we had one in Lawrence, highest paid psychiatrist in Lawrence, and I had several people through the years as clients that went to him, or children did, and for $300 an hour back then, he would listen, kind of. They said he didn't look interested at all. And at the end of the hour, he'd say, well, to everyone I've ever met, well, what can you do? That's almost as smart as saying, how's that working for you, Dr. Phil? You know what? If it was working for me, I wouldn't be here paying 300 an hour. But the answer is this. Here is our instruction to live this life. Amen, brother. Here's our instruction to live Amen. this life. Dr. Phil came on one day, Dr. Phil's wife, I can't remember her name, Rachel Joy, maybe, but she came on one day and was interviewed, and she said, oh, isn't he a great man? I wish he was anything like that at home. And, and the crowd, ooh, and, and she goes, I'm not kidding you. Oh, he knows everything from three to four, but the other 23 hours, he can't do anything, can't, won't do anything, and it's just highly critical of me and the kids. Our instruction is here. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Praise God. Do not provoke your children. Man, I didn't get that done well. I made the mistake at what my kids act like they were 30 when they were 12. I wanted to be adults, make good decisions, do everything right. Anybody else involved in that? I wanted my kids to do everything better than me, even if you look back at it. Yes. I wanted excellent. I wanted I wanted children that were excellent in the world that were examples of, of what God can do. And I provoked my children from time to time. I did. Yeah. I've asked their forgiveness many times, and they say we're good. I hope so. They do come home. They eat a lot. I love it. There's nothing better than fellowship with your children and grandchildren. There's Amen. nothing better than that. Amen, brother. When the kids will bring their kids home, that's the best day in my life. You do what you want. That's my button. It came to pass in verse 48. Oh, wait a minute. Another great big one. And all the assembly, verse 47, shall know that the Lord saveth not with a sword and with a spear. Folks, this is the answer. The battle is the Lord's. The two greatest questions in Scripture in my mind, and I've, I've read it since I thought it myself, the two greatest questions in the Bible were when the Apostle Paul, as Saul, met the Lord. Chapter 9 of the book of Acts. And for those of you who don't understand this, there is no horse mentioned in there. He said, the Lord knocked him off his horse. I read that in commentaries. The Lord knocked him off his horse. He did not. The Bible does not say he knocked him off his horse. He said he looked and there was a great light shone. And he said, who art thou, Lord? Number one question, the greatest question in this life. The greatest question is not anything to do with physics or astrophysics. It doesn't have to do with advanced mathematics or scientific <laughs> discovery. It doesn't have to do with calculations of movements and size of stars. It has to do with only one thing, and that is this. Who is God? Who is he? Who art thou, Lord? Not just who God is. Who are you, my master? Who are you to master me? You're, you're the master. Who are you? I want to know who you are. 
greatest question ever asked, in my opinion. And the second one was directly following, and what will you have me to do? Praise God. So when the battle comes, when the battle comes, he fights the battles. If you're a Christian in full faith, he's the one who fights. It doesn't say lay down. It doesn't say just give up and say the Lord's going to take care of it. It says do what he tells you to do. What will you have me to do? And what he says is you get behind me and do as I tell you. He doesn't say, well, lay down somewhere. I'll take care of this. You notice in the very last conflict in the world, in the very last conflict to this universe, he's going to come on a white horse with all the names and titles that are befitting to him with a sharp two-edged sword. And guess what? All of the saints behind him on white horses and white robes are going to be there. Guess what? The battle is the Lord's. It says a sharp sword shall cut both ways. It's going to cut in conviction. It's going to cut, take them out. Can you imagine the world so angry at the end of this thing that tribulation has done its deal? I mean, the ugliest time in history, by far, the most cataclysmic time. And if you believed in the Lord, it cost your life. The next hour, we're going to look at those martyrs for Christ. And if you think we have something going on, we haven't seen it. We don't know anything about it. Amen, brother. We got nothing going here as far as persecution yet. We got threats. They're getting greater. More action is, is taking. That's the way it's going to happen. The progression will be that way. Now, if you go to the school, you're a domestic terrorist. If you go, I don't want you telling my daughter uh, she, uh, she's my son. I don't want that. Well, you're a domestic terrorist. You have to be locked up. That's against Christ. Male and female made he them in the beginning and said, guess what that is? Adam. Adam didn't go to school, but he knew that was a boy. Adam knew he was a man. Adam knew he was a woman. And he knew she was. And then he knew her. Knew her in the sense of knowing. <coughs> he wasn't confused about that. One woman said, you think Adam was pretty smart? I said, he named every animal. Can you? Yeah. Yeah. He's smarter than I am. Now, don't fight me on that. He's smarter than me. Yeah, come on. I know that's a big thing to think about. The battle is the Lord's. And when we get in front of him, we get hurt. When we get in front of the Lord doing battle, we'll get hurt. What does he say? Coming to me, you labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. How's that? Be my yoke fellows. Walk beside me. Walk in fellowship with me. Obedience unto me. We don't tell him what to do. I have been in deacon meetings in my lifetime where the deacon board sat around and told the Lord how it was going to be and said, now bless it. And he wanted the people said, well, you're just hateful. And I said, no, we come here, and I, I'm, I don't, I'm, not a, I'm not even aware of the, of the issues. I was going to learn what we're talking about tonight at this deacon's meeting. You've already figured it out. You know what you want to do, and you told the Lord what was going to happen, and now telling him to bless it. I don't believe in that. I don't believe in that. They said, what do you want to do? I said, why don't we see what the problems are? We all separate for a week, pray to the Lord, and come back and see what we were told. Oh, that just slows everything down. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See this with me now. Verse 48, And it came to pass, while the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David. Look, what did David do? I don't care what the movies show. 
David hastened and ran toward him. You think he was confident? <laughs> Bring it, brother. I'm going to put a knot on your shin. You won't believe. <laughs> I'm gonna, oh, I'm going to take them kneecaps out. You know what David knew? You bring that over here. Now, would you rather face a lion, a bear, or a man? I don't take a. I take a man every time. Big men fall hard. Big men outside of Christ get slaughtered. I'd rather face a, a, a human enemy than a beast, a wild beast, anytime. Only person I ever knew that could beat an alligator and a lion is Johnny Weissmuller, and he had died too. Tarzan's gone. Well, Daniel Boone could do it with a bar. But not many people could face a wild beast like that. And David said, and I'm saying right now, I didn't do it. The Lord delivered them. I close with this this morning. Back in verse 36. It says, the servant, Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. That is, in my belief, the answer to verse 29, where David said, What have I done now? And is there not a cause? The cause was not anything other in David's mind than he's defying God. He's, he's out there mocking God. You going to let him do that? And they all said, Yeah, I think we will. And David said, in verse 37, Moreover, the Lord delivered me out of the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear. He will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. That word deliver again means to save. He saved me from the bear. He delivered me from the bear. Look what he says again in verse uh, 46. This day, speaking to Goliath, the Lord will deliver thee into my hand. He delivered me from the bear. He delivered me from the lion. But today he's going to deliver you to me. Different word for deliver, which means to give over, to give up, to push away. He's going to push you right over here to me. He's going to deliver you up like we would deliver the paper, the mail, groceries. It's a delivery. The Lord's going to bring him right up to him and set him on the doorstep, ring the doorbell. He's been delivered to you. Here he is. The Lord's going to bring you over here for me. Now folks, do you not see that can you see the bigger picture? Anything in our life is bigger than us, is a giant to us, it's a Goliath to us. And if the battle's not the Lord's, that might be temporarily solved in our minds, but it will come back. Unless the Lord does the battle, the enemy does not get slain. Praise God. Unless the Lord does the battle, the enemy is not completely slain, and they will have children, <coughs> and they'll have a regrouping time and they will come again. Even when you read the temptation of Christ in the other Gospels besides Mark, it says this, Satan came to Christ and he said, if you're the Son of God, do these three things. All three things the Lord quoted the scriptures out of Deuteronomy and said, no, no, I'm not doing that for you. I'm not here for you. I'm not afraid of you. don't like you. You can go. And it says, after all that, when the Lord said no, the Lord said no, Satan left him, comma, for a season. He will come back. We think, oh, good, I ran that boyfriend off. 
little girl got sitting here hard, I'm going after somebody. You know, you, you got to be very careful. We got to do it with the right reasons, the right motives, the right intention. Get all the things straightened out, and let the Lord do the battle. When my kids were growing up, I remember one when I'm rolling right at me, I said, because God said no. Why can't we do that? And I said, because we're not going to do that in our house. Why can't we do that? I said, we're not doing that in our house. The third time they asked me, I said, because the Lord said no. You know, teenagers, I don't know, something really wrong with these young people. There's just something in their mind that just quits. It is. Hormones take over, brain cells shut down. I don't know what it is. Hunger. My kids could eat. My boys, wow. Which I didn't mind at all, but I, I didn't mind that, that thing, but I wanted that appetite for Christ. I, I really enjoyed the, the meal times and the fellowship times. I did, I did enjoy them, but from time to time, a teenager will make a statement where you know for sure they don't understand. They just don't understand. And that's not wrong. That's learning to be a human adult. That's the learning process. The sad thing is when they're 30 and still don't know. Boy, by 20, we ought to be getting some stuff going on up there. I had a psychiatrist out the other day in my chair. Psychiatrist, I think he's like, yeah, he's like, he's both actually, because he can prescribe medicines. But he said to me this a boy's brain doesn't work until they're at least 23. My dad knew nothing of that theory. <laughs> my dad believed this I can hit you hard enough somewhere, your brain can start working. I can pop you somewhere, your brain will kick in. Now listen, you think, I'm not kidding about that. My, this thing now they're teaching young people, you don't even have to know how to think until you're 23. You believe that. I don't believe that for a second. The women probably believe that. Guys, I had a thought or two before I was 23. I remember 22, I had a thought one day. Of, listen. I left high school. I walked out to the high school. I walked out the sidewalk. The teachers detained me in the in the teacher's lounge for about 30 minutes, talking to them, saying goodbye. I had two books and a notebook under my hand. That's all I owned in the world at that point. I walked out to the edge of the sidewalk where the little curb goes down to the parking lot, and mine was the only car there. I could find it. And I thought to myself, I'm going to graduate tomorrow evening. What am I going to do with my life? And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if you don't have a thought in your head, that's a dangerous place to be. I had zero parents around me. I had nothing around me that would give me any instruction or care or concern. And I walked out there and thought, it's up to me now. I've done that. I've served my time. I've got my parole sheet here. What am I going to do with life? Everybody has that. Let me ask you, what did you decide? Bring it. What did you decide? And are you getting it done? That day in your life when you came to a fork in the road and you said this, which way am I going to go? How's it going? How's it going? Are you getting it done? Because there's no promise of going to bed tonight alive. There's no promise. Are we doing what we're called to do? If today was our last day, are we doing it? Are we at least heading toward the goal? Father, we thank you for this hour. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the attendance here. And just ask that you would bless every person here with understanding, with peace, with joy. Lord, help us to understand why you gave us the words. Speak to our spirits. Teach us now, we pray. Go with us. Be with us. Teach us day by day. 
Help us to learn to follow well. In Christ's name we pray.